Please stand for the reading of God's word. We're reading 1 Peter 2, 1 through 10. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, that it, by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. And coming to him as to a living stone, rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in scriptures. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him shall not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected has become the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this, this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God, and, have not, and you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God's word. Please be seated. Father, we thank you for your word that tells us who we are and what we've been given in Christ. We pray that you would speak to our hearts now and uh, encourage us and challenge us. Uh, and we lift up this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so today, to unfold the scripture for us, we have um, Peter, Peter Lyon. He is a um, RUF pastor at uh, VCU. So we welcome him here today. Good morning. It is my pleasure to be with you this morning uh, to get to bring some truth from God's word. Uh, I am the campus minister at Virginia Commonwealth University in the city of Richmond. I uh, just moved down here a couple years ago from Philadelphia area. Still adjusting. Um, uh, Philadelphia gets pretty hot. It does not get this hot during August, and I am adjusting to the daily thunderstorms and the mosquitoes that come out in the daytime. Uh, my daughter, my little three-year-old daughter in particular is adjusting to those. And uh, it's, it's, it's making a dent in one of my hobbies, which is gardening. Um, you know, we bought an old house right by campus. It only has like 18 foot by 18 foot backyard, hard packed old dirt. Uh, but I managed to put a nice little raised bed garden in there, growing my watermelons and my tomatoes and things like that. And this is sort of prime season to go out there and harvest. I don't really want to be out there. It's pretty brutal. I go out there and I, my legs just get bit and bit and bit. And so my temptation is to just not go out there, right? But the thing about a garden is it doesn't stay the way you left it. You know, if I just like, if I don't go out there, it's not that nothing is happening. Something's happening out there. Tomatoes are rotting and falling off the vines. A tomato plant with this sort of thunderstorm will just go wild. Last year it took over my whole backyard because I just like wiped my hands of it. A garden's always growing. 
And the, the goal of a garden is to grow it a particular way, to harvest something or to create beauty in a space. Um, but if you don't take that active, you know, if you don't take an active hand in it, it still grows. And it'll grow however it wants to grow. It won't always grow in ways that you like. There's plenty of plants that want to grow in my backyard that I have no interest in. Uh, and as we, as we jump into this, this section of 1 Peter here today, I've been, I've been spending a lot of time in 1 Peter these last, uh, with my students, uh, with some of the churches I've gotten a chance to preach at, uh, because I feel like it's such a comforting book for us as we go through difficult seasons. And as we jump into this passage of 1 Peter, I feel like we are getting this reminder. We are the garden in my, in my earlier analogy. We're getting the reminder that, that we are growing. We are becoming something. And in this section, I think Peter's trying to draw our attention to what are we becoming? In fact, I think in this section, the, the text asks us three questions. Asks, I would say and answers three questions for us. First, it starts off with what are we consuming? What are we taking in? Keep using my gardening analogy, like what I put into the garden, the, the soil, the water, the sunlight, that matters. What's coming in matters and what's coming out. Next question is, what are we becoming? What's growing? What's growing in our lives? And finally, I think it asks this big question. And as someone who's on a college campus, this is a question I am frequently encountering. Who are we really? To what can we stake a claim that says, this is who I am? So let's pray and then jump into these questions together. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word, and I thank you that it is good. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would be working as we read through this text, that it would give us hearts to receive, not to point fingers at other people, but to receive your word for its gentle and loving correction, for its encouragement, and for its reminder that you are good, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. So let's start off with this first question. What are we taking in? What are we consuming? The start of this text starts, has, has a very, if, you're, if you've grown up in the church, if you, know, you read your Bible regularly, you'll see lists like the beginning of this text, often in the letters of the New Testament. You know, rid yourself of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. We can tendency like we can make that into a little checklist, a little to-do list. But I really want to draw your attention to the next verse here. Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow up into your salvation if you have tasted that the Lord is good. I want that to inform our look at the first list. Rather than a checklist of like, oh, am I being deceitful? Am I being a hypocrite? Am I being envious? I want to first, before we get to there, ask ourselves the question, am I actively seeking out and consuming malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander? I think that our culture is full of these things to consume. I think this is pretty much the, the marketing platform of social media. It's like, hey, do you want to take in some, <laughs> do you want to take in some bold-faced lies? <laughs> Would you like to look at an Instagram feed and grow envious of your friends? We spend a lot of time consuming these things. We spend a lot of time taking these things in. What we consume really matters. 
what we consume really matters. Uh, before I was a campus minister, I did, used to do youth ministry uh, for a number of years. And I had one student who came through my ministry, very unique guy, name of Paul John. And one day he scheduled a little one-on-one -on -one, like lunch with me. He's like, I have something serious to talk with you about. I'm like, okay, I'm ready. Ready to have a heart-to-heart -heart conversation. Like, we get down and sit there and he's like, Pete, I'm becoming a vegan. I'm like, this is not where I thought this conversation was going, but I, let's hear it. You know, and, and he is a guy who had some medical issues and some other things. And so he decided to take, you know, take this step of really controlling his diet, controlling what I'm going to do. Thought it was going to last three weeks. He is still a vegan four years later. So what I noticed very quickly about Paul John is that when he took control of what he was consuming, it started to change his appearance. He was a guy who suffered from chronic fatigue. Suddenly he had energy. It was almost enough to convince me to give it a shot. I say almost. But what he consumed really mattered. It flowed through him. We use this, I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old. I say to them what was said to me, you are what you eat. What we take in really matters. And that matters to our soul too. It matters to our soul what we are taking in. I... I am preaching to you a sermon that I need in my own heart. Just last night, I was like, why am I even on Facebook? Why do I even have this thing? What is it good for? What am I watching? We're a TV family. I, I don't really feel bad about it. But like, what are we watching? Does, is it a, does, it, does it do anything for me? Or am I taking in envy and slander Am I just accepting these things? You know, often, uh, becoming part of a Christian community, you'll, you'll hear things about you know, our quiet time and our Bible study and our prayer times. But oftentimes, even if you're a regular reader of Scripture, you read it every morning, you have your prayer time, it accounts to like starting your day with a single salad and then going out and just like, Golden Corral buffets the rest of the day. We're asking that salad to do a lot of work. We're asking it to do a lot of work. What we consume really matters. And my, so another, my wife is a runner. She runs marathons. Uh, she loves to run. That's her hobby. She just loves to run long distances. And what she eats the night before a run often dictates how far she's going to run. What she consumes fuels her desire. But it also goes the other way. When she is running really regularly, she starts to desire good things. Bad processed food isn't what her body desires when she's burning a thousand calories just to start the day. You know, a 10 mile run in the morning and she's not like, mm, I'm really looking for some processed. No, she's looking for good nutrition. What we consume fuels our desires, and what we pursue will also help to shape. This is a, it's not an either or. These things work together. But I don't want, I don't want to end, like, I don't want to just stop there and give you like a list of like, okay, take in better stuff. That's a good application. You know, think about what you're consuming. That's a good application. You know, live lives that are less this way and you'll desire less of them. That's fine. One of the reasons I love the book of Peter, 1 Peter, is that he never leaves us in any section without the gospel for long. 
He never forgets to tell us the good news. If you, if you open the, the book, it leads off. It's like his first argument in, in, the, in his letter is, don't forget, you have been rescued. You have been saved. And we see it here, you know, that you have come to him as a living stone. You might be rejected, but you were chosen and honored by God. The work of Christ has been done on your behalf. Let me break that down. If that is not clear for you, let me explain that. Though we were undeserving, though we were just as, just as hip, hypocritical, maybe still are, just as envious, just as slanderous as everyone else in this world. Before we improved ourselves at all, Jesus came to take that sin on himself, the punishment that we deserve. And in return, we receive the inheritance that he deserved for living a perfect life, for loving and living truthfully and to the, full, to the fullest. We have received that. We have been chosen and honored by God. It's a wonderful gift. And if you look at that first list, like this is something I can achieve to earn God's favor. You're running the wrong race. Peter is encouraged us to drink deeply like newborn infants, like someone who cannot help themselves from that which is good, that Christ is our only hope. And with that in mind, with Christ in mind, he asks, what are you becoming? What is being made out of you? And we get this passage, this illustration, you yourselves as living stones a spiritual house are being built, a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. We are living stones. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are a living stone being built into a spiritual house, something that is good, something that is honorable, something that is acceptable and worthy to the most high God, the, the source of good in this world. The end result is something good on the path that Jesus has laid out for us. That's really important. Our hearts don't always say that, do they? When we see the choice between the life that Jesus lived and the life that is available and readily available in our very, our very kind of consumeristic, individualized culture, that sacrificial life of Jesus or this very comfortable life, the sacrificial life of Jesus doesn't often look to our hearts as good. But Peter is reminding us, it is very good. And I think it even speaks directly to our culture, our culture of trying to create this individualized, personalized happiness. That the end result of is loneliness and isolation. What is the result of the way of Christ? You are being built together, formed together into a spiritual house. I had an old uh, seminary professor who said, We'd be a lot better off if we would translate some of the yous in scripture into y'alls. We don't have a plural you in English. Thankfully, moving south of the Mason-Dixon line, I can adopt that one. Y'all is really useful. Most of the yous are y'alls here. 
We need to remember these are, these are things that you're saying to us. We as a community, we as a church, you as Evergreen are, are being built together into something beautiful and honorable. You're becoming something. You're becoming something. You know, I told you my wife is a runner. I have, in my day, signed up for a few long-distance races, a marathon, a half marathon, a few 10-milers. I say this not to brag. Uh, my times are very much nothing to brag about. Uh, when, I prepare, when, I, when I sign up for these races with my wife, I was like, I'm going to prepare really well. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run my like, training miles. I'm going to do all this. I'm going to build a solid foundation so when I run this race, I can set a good time. And I have a great example. My wife runs all the training runs. I never do. And it gets to race day. And, my and it's not like, hmm. It's not like I've run one of these 10 milers before. I'm in shape to do it again. That was two years ago. My just like my garden, my race fitness is not static. It has... If it were a house, it would be a house in decrepit disrepair. It'd be like the floor of our kitchen when we first bought it, where you can kind of see down into the crawl space. <laughs> There's some things that need work on this foundation. If we're looking at the life that we're building, at the community that we're building, and the foundation that we're relying upon is our own ability to do good works, to love each other well, to live in community with each other, it's a really bad foundation. It's the foundation of my running fitness. It's similar equivalency. Our self, our individual desires and comfort, to use the language of the university, our self-actualization is not the cornerstone. And that's really good news. I want to tell you that's really good news. I'm not just here to like, I love, my, I love my college students. I love the university. There's a reason I'm serving there. And it's because I want good for them that I want to say, that's, that's not a good foundation. That's a shaky, breakable foundation. That's a changeable foundation. I don't want the foundation of my house to change. I would like it to stay very much where it is. The foundation of Christ is a foundation that we can trust. We are one stone among many being shaped into the church and the foundation of that church is Christ. It is not our community values. It is not our local demographics. It is the same as the church all over the world. It is the finished work of Jesus Christ. So that should be our hope. We're being built together with believers all over the world into this beautiful thing that's honorable. That's our hope. That's what we want to become. That's our good news is that Jesus finished the work. The work of the Holy Spirit within us is doing this. So that leads us to this question that is just so prevalent. Who are we? I'll use the I word. What is our identity? I don't love that word, but we'll use it. Who are we really? What makes us, like, what makes this a gathering? Like, why are you all here today? Why are 
Christians all over the world gathering on Sundays? Like, what makes us a people? What is our definitional quality? The search for this doesn't go away. Like, if you say you bought hook, line, and sinker into like our current very individualistic culture right now, or I can pull myself up, it's all about me, I can define myself. Well, what I see within that culture and what I see within myself, because growing up, I've drunk deeply of it. Just it's a sea I swim in. Where do I look for it? I'm a sucker for personality tests. Are you guys? Not the Facebook ones that are just stealing your identity. Like Myers-Briggs. I dabbled with Enneagram. It's not my, but it's like, you know, you got the other one. You got all these uh, Myers-Briggs, the disc profile, the strengths. There's, there's the one that's actually scientifically proven, but they don't know what, there's no like cool results at the end. So nobody likes it. Uh, five oceans or whatever it's called. And what, you know, what, what's fun about these is, is what draws you into them is at the end, when you, when you read this profile, when you say like, oh, I'm an INTJ, it's like, oh, you feel seen. You see attributes of yourself described. And you're like, oh, I feel real, really seen. And, and maybe I even do feel a connection with other people who think like me. But in the end, what I've always discovered is a certain disappointment sets in. It's not enough to have. It's like, well, that really doesn't 100% fit me. And really what it is described, like, it's describing me based on self-generated answers to these questions. <laughs> and it's really just kind of describing my gifts or failures what I like or what I don't like, what I struggle with. It's, it's just really mostly describing kind of the circumstances that I was born into. Like I got a big, loud preacher voice. I didn't cultivate it. Both my parents were opera singers. They raised me without an indoor voice. This is nothing, of, like, it's not like some special Pete Lyon thing that it's like, oh, I worked really hard at this. And I can take credit. It was like, even like, oh, I did well in school. It's like, ah, oh, not like I worked very hard at school. You know, a lot of times we, we take a lot of pride or we put a lot of definition about qualities that are really just the broader extenuating circumstances of our life. Things we've experienced that we kind of proclaim back outwards to the world. I love this language that he uses. He uses very positively here at the end. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation people for his possession so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I like that because we're all proclaiming something. I've come back to social media. We proclaim stuff all the time. And we're we're saying stuff. We're, We're trying to say things about ourselves. Sometimes we say more than we think we're saying. I think we've all seen those Maybe it's in person. Maybe it's on social media. It's like, you said something about yourself you did not intend to say. You've let me know how insecure you are. You've let me know how vain you are. Something along that lines. But we're all doing that, really. I proclaim my insecurities every day. I'm not better than them. Sometimes we just proclaim the meaninglessness of the tasks that we we perform. Yet underneath it is this desire to proclaim something. Why aren't we just kind of silent about it? If we don't know who we are, if we don't know what we're becoming, why aren't we quiet? Because we're built, we're made, designed to proclaim something good. And our hearts want to do that. 
our hearts want to proclaim this good news, that we have been chosen by God, loved beyond measure, that a room full of people with little in common can become brothers and sisters in Christ because of the work of Jesus, that we've been called out of a dark meaninglessness into a light, a beauty of a meaningful, joy-filled pursuit of goodness. We long for that. But in the absence of it, what happens? What happens with Jesus? What happens with the story of Jesus if, if we're absent, absent the hope? What happens with the story of Jesus if, if we do not believe what he said about us? Because what Jesus' life declares is that you were in need and I've come to rescue you. And that rescue is good. I have deep love and affection for you. That need, that first step of understanding our need can be quite a stumbling. That's why this, this text can be confusing. It's like The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. There's no other foundation but Jesus. There's no way in to a community of grace other than, the rece- than receiving grace through Jesus. Often our culture wants all the benefits of Christ's kingdom without the king. They want all the fruit of of, of a Christian faith without the king. And so Jesus becomes a stumbling block. So instead, I would say the best application we can take out of this is to really and deeply think throughout I would say even almost the mundane parts of our life. What does it mean to acknowledge that our only hope is the work that Jesus has done on our behalf? If that were the foundation, if the hours of our life, if our days spent at work, at, at school, with friends, were built on the foundation of Jesus really and truly, if, if that was the, be- if the starting point, what does it mean to proclaim with all our life the excellency of him who called us out of darkness into light. You, know, you hear a lot of youth group sermons that just say, be different for Jesus. And they just leave it at that. There's a, there's a truth to it. That's still almost a little like, hey, you stand out for Jesus. No, Jesus stands out in this culture. Proclaim him. Don't proclaim your own difference. Proclaim Jesus's difference. Be a people. Be a community whose lives and community reflect the mercy that we've received. Take that list from malice. Instead of malice, instead of seeing the other and feeling threatened by them, think of how we can bless those who are then other than us. Instead of the deceit, the lies we tell ourselves to feel good, what if we, what if we practice um, just an honesty that comes from knowing that we have real, infinite grace? Instead of hypocrisy, we practiced integrity even when it was hard because we knew that our hope was not in this life, but in the next. What if instead of enviously scrolling, doom scrolling, looking for things that we wish we had and shopping constantly on Amazon, we practice contentment knowing that what we have cannot be taken from us? What if instead of slander, we practiced radical kindness? If we sought to say, 
and proclaim things that were good into this world. This is not, what what I'm telling you application, this is not the empty idealism of like, you know, a 1970s style commune here. This is not rely on your ability to do this. This is through the power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit working within you. You have a comforter. You have, you have God with us. This is backed by the reality of the kingdom of God. The power of Christ's resurrection is more powerful than your sin. And remember, in these choices, these often mundane choices, that what motivates this, the hope behind this, is not a chance to earn favor, but rather the resurrection of Jesus Christ serves as our evidence that these things in this world that look good to us, that look wise to us, that look comfortable to us, that way often leads to death. That way leads to death. But this way that seems sometimes hard, I think it seems almost most particularly hard in the little things. Jesus has proclaimed with his life, his death, and his resurrection that that is the way that leads to life, to joy and to hope. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us, that what you say for us is good. The path that you have laid out before us is a hopeful and joyful path. Lord, I pray that as we go out from here, as a community, we would think about what we are taking in. That what we put out into this world would reflect the goodness and the joy of your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. This time I'd like to invite the elders forward as we turn to the Lord's Supper. I think the Lord's Supper uh, is an excellent opportunity for us to think about what we take in. Uh, it can be easy if you have done this many times to not think deeply about what we do here at Christ.